Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us a very special guest, John Van Auken, an acknowledged expert of Edgar Casey readings, the Bible, ancient prophecies, world religions, and meditation. He is the director of the Edgar Casey Foundation, the ARE, the Association for Research and Enlightenment, and has been involved in this work for over 40 years. He has written over 30 books and recorded numerous videos and audios. He has visited and led over 30 tours to Egypt and some 90 tours to ancient sites around the globe. John is with us today to share his knowledge and wisdom found in over 14,000 readings with topics of reincarnation to ancient Egypt and beyond. Mandy and I cannot wait to be his students today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and schedule to join us. It's just such an honor. Thank you. Oh, you're more yeah. than welcome. Where are you at, John? Virginia Beach, where the headquarters of Edgar Casey is. I say this all the time. We've had on so many guests from Virginia. It's like, you must just have the most amazing spiritual community there ever. Like I might need to move there. (laughs) Something in the water? I'm not sure. Edgar Casey said that it was a special zone, both a safety zone for earth changes and also a vibrational zone. He also hinted that it was the new Egypt the new location of Egyptian souls. And a lot of us at ARE feel we were Egyptians and we are reincarnated Egyptians, particularly since Edgar Casey, one of his main past lives was Rata, an Egyptian high priest. So all of that could be influencing it. We still find most of the energies in California, though. Of course, Casey said that was Lemurian and Lemuria, if you've heard of that ancient yeah culture. What's in Colorado? Uh, Colorado has the mountains and the high energy. And remember, Edgar and, and most spiritual sources say, the higher you go, the closer you are, was the theme of ancient cultures. So to go up on the mount to meet the source, like Sinai and things like this, was symbolic of you going to your higher spiritual centers, rising on the mount in yourself. So Colorado is the mount. I've lectured there many times. I fly in and it's like 5,000. Then they drive me up to 7,000 and I'm lightheaded and I start to get, you know, a little crazy. I think I'm going to start blaming my crazy on that too. There you go. (laughs) That's it. There's something about altitude that gets the earthy mind a little fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us all about your discovery of Edgar Casey? I read my first Casey book when I was 16 years old. I joined the staff when I was 24 years old, and I've been on the staff ever since, which is 51 years. Most of my career was spent on the road, uh, traveling around, giving lectures and leading tours around the world to sacred sites, writing and studying ancient cultures. I write a regular column for our membership magazine, Venture Inward, on ancient wisdom from China to Egypt to India, all of Europe, the Maya, Toltec, Aztec cultures. Uh, The Inca, you know, I've been everywhere and written all about them. So basically, what I've been up to this incarnation. (laughs) Sounds adventurous. It it has been, yeah. (laughs) Of course, COVID has put a screeching halt to much of it. Yeah. So let me ask you, out of all of the places that you've been, do you have a favorite one? I do, but it's not going to be spectacular. It's my deck in the backyard under an oak tree. (laughs) I love it. That's spectacular to me. Yes. Yeah, uh, I have a Carolina hammock out there that I can lie in underneath the leaves of that tree and the sunshine, and I get rejuvenated and renewed. And sometimes I get intuitive insights into a topic I need to jump on. Do you find that 
you know, since you've been doing this for so long or involved in this great Edgar Casey Foundation, that there was maybe like a pause in curiosity and now there's maybe a splurge of it recently? Uh, yes. Uh, Casey's reading of the Akashic Records states that there are cycles and rhythms. And these cycles are necessary to allow for different phases, just like the human has an active day and then a sleeping night. So nature and the cosmos has a rhythm. Now he does say once you get beyond the physical body and you are back in the spirit, the dimensions are not rigid cycles. You, there's a oneness, a flow, and you can be in the flow and it, it's a, a steady rhythm. But as you come back toward mother nature, you come back into her laws, which has the rhythm and the cycles. The same is with public interest, social activity and politics and finance and all those people cycle into deep interest and consume as much as they can and then pull away and move on to something else. Or they simply internalize it and process it for about three and a half years. He said the cycles are roughly three and a half years, and then a greater cycle is seven years. So we find the same thing to be true. We can have a year of our website getting 90 to 100,000 visitors, and then we can have a year where it drops down to like 50 to 60,000 visitors. And uh, people are, that were there before are now living it or ruminating on it or distracted. So obviously you are a speaker. Oh, yeah. 16 years old. Wow. Were your other friends reading the same type of literature? <laughs> I was the son of a naval officer, so I traveled every three years and I had to learn how to say goodbye to friends I had made and hello to two people uh, that were somewhat strangers. And middle school and high school was difficult. I went to four different high schools because my dad became a NATO officer and he had to change bases regularly. So my upbringing was curious in that sense. Uh, now, once I got into my 20s and the staff, I was in several study groups with like-minded people, and we all had many, many encounters and long nights of talking and ruminating on um, what life is really about and who are we really and all of that stuff. But before that, I was moving around a lot. Well, do you think that the internet has kind of like expanded this great awakening right now? Because I feel like there is a great awakening and I feel like it has to do with the technology and just the fact that you and I and Mandy are able to have this conversation is just amazing. I would say to you that going back to about 1960s, when the souls came in and started talking about love, flower power, there was a movement of incarnating souls, and then the 70s shifted it a little bit, took it to a little higher level <laughs> of love, and then we moved through several other cycles. So actually, the internet is the great channel distributor, but the souls are carrying the wisdom, and more and more souls are coming in, and, and we like to say things like crystal children and nicknames like that but really it's we're seeing the influx of souls already aware of a greater aspect of life than our parents or grandparents focused on i, I was sitting in meditation this morning and i was thinking about just how brilliant Edgar Casey was. I mean, travel was not as easy. He didn't have the internet. I mean, he is proof that channeling is a real thing. How else could this man have gotten such amazing information? <laughs> well, uh, the, when he read the Akashic record on himself, he learned that when he was dying in a battle on the plains in ancient Persia, he went in and out of his physical body and his celestial mind. And that experience stayed with him and helped him do the psychic readings this lifetime. 
Plus, he was in temple training often. And in those temples, he was trained how to meditate deeply and how to perceive the language of the other consciousness, which is much more imagery and symbolism and energetics. The man incarnate this lifetime, he would go into these trances and he knew nothing of what was going on. When he woke up, you had to tell him. But that's how pure a channel he was. He himself tried to avoid tainting the information, which if you studied psychics for the last 50 years, you know that is the most difficult part of bringing truth into this world. They have their own prejudices, their own slant, their own karma. Well, Casey was so unconscious (laughs) and because of his past training, he he could access the Akashic record and just purely let it flow. His one glitch was he read the Bible all the way through every year of his life. So his language was the King James language, and that made it very difficult to do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my, I can imagine. Yeah. Is it true that his first discovery of his channeling was as young as like elementary school and was doing like spelling with his father. That story is true. His dad was very angry that he didn't know any of the words for tomorrow's spelling test. So he said to his father, dad, if you'll let me sleep on this book for about 15 minutes, I'll know every word in it. Now I had three children and I don't know if I would have said yes to that. I hope I would have, but his dad, for some reason said, you got 15 minutes. And when he came back, he said, dad, I don't just know the words for tomorrow. I know every word in that book and what page it's on. And so his dad tested him. But his mother also told the story of how when he was a little boy, they lived in a rural setting. Neighbors were far away. And she looked out the kitchen window one time and he was playing with fairies and little people and she saw them and she realized he had friends they just weren't human friends (laughs) i heard you talk about that about like seeing being able to see these elementals and how i think it was in one of your books it was amazing elementals yeah oh yeah you were discussing how if you're used to seeing with your ego mind, then that's what you see. But if you go a little deeper, if this is where you're able to connect with your inner seeing, clairvoyancy, then you may use that actually in the physical world as well. Exactly. A way to think about it is when your soul projects yourself into the body that your mom's making in her womb for you to incarnate, a veil drops. That veil is usually very opaque, but Once you're out here, if you have an intuitive sense to seek, then you can come through the veil. And the more you do, the more transparent the veil becomes. Some children are born with a very transparent veil and yet with extreme earthiness. Mozart's the best example He could write a symphony at six that men at 60 could not write. And yet he had earthy urges, something terrible. (laughs) But, (laughs) But so it's not so much the karma of your body and flesh experiences as it is your mind. And Edgar used to say over and over, mind is the builder. If you work with your mind, the veil can become transparent. But you have to understand there's a dimension to your mind that is beyond your ego, your outer self. And so you have to get used to surrendering and seeking. And gradually it'll come to you. He said the safest way to come to you in the beginning is through dreams. So if you'll work with dreams, you'll actually get to see the language of the deeper self, which is usually uh, most often uh, different than our language. So you need to develop skill with that language if you're going to understand the deeper self. And then you get to the higher self and things are actually multidimensional. And now you have to learn how to perceive 
without verbal content or words. And that becomes this overwhelming intuitive immersion in you that all you can say is, I don't know how to articulate this, but I touched it. I know it. It's with me. I had dreams of this old man with a red cape and he's telling me I need to take a sabbatical, telling me to find my druid stone. He keeps coming in my dream. I'm like, who the hell are you? Just the most random things. Uh, you see, your outer self is puzzled because it didn't think it had this, but your inner self, this is part of your inner self. It, it belongs to your inner self. Carl Jung would say, in a woman's dream, when a masculine figure appears, it is the animus. It is her counterpart of her soul. She is the projected yin of the soul. This is the yang of her soul. The red cape is like the cardinals in the Catholic Church. The red cape is the sacred carrier. This is part of you talking to you. This is an integral part of your psyche. That red cape is you, a part of you that complements the outer you who's projected, who's incarnating. And it's giving you symbolic tips of things to help you because it's you. It's not like a, something else or an old past life character talking to you. It could be occasionally. But most of the time, it is an aspect of your greater self. That makes so much sense. Maybe I wouldn't tell myself with this mind, but yeah. my higher self knew you'd need a sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, Jung would say if I, a projected male, saw a strong or mysterious or even slightly scary female in my dream, that would be my yin. And I'm seeing the power of my yin yeah, while power. I'm projected yang, you know? And remember, Jung was the one who said, hey, John, if you want full consciousness, you've got to get in touch with your feminine side. Going way back to the 1950s and all, we, all of us seeking males have been pushed to getting in touch with our feminine side. Our wives made damn sure we did. <laughs> But Doris was also trying to get in touch with her masculine side because the whole consciousness has both. And so keep that in mind. So like when I see a powerful or even slightly frightening or mysterious female in my dreams and she's conversing with me or trying to influence me, I watch for the meaning because that's me. That's part of the whole me. I'm just a part. Jung said, you're just a projected portion. Your whole consciousness has both. How would you explain people like me who've had a near-death experience or like we had on a gentleman by the name of David Ditchfield who came on, who after his near-death experience started writing symphonies as well. Is that because our soul's gone into that dream state, that dimension? Yes, you see, uh, really meditation and sleep are shutting down the outer self in a death-like state. Sleep is a shadow of death. Deep meditation is a shadow of death. So you physically died. Therefore, your true mind, your eternal mind, was free of the body containment, the body paradigm. And that's when you touch all of this. And then when you come back, it's like, oh, man, I'm never the same. I've touched it. I know it's there. Yeah, my exact thoughts. I was like, oh man, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Edgar went through a lot with his gifts and his channeling. He, he was considered practicing some demonic things, correct? Did he go through a lot of trouble with this gift? And is that why he kind of created this safe space of the ARE? Yes, both in this world and in the darker realms. Uh, he said, wherever there's a channel of light. And when you start to get closer to being an improved channel of light, darkness will seek to enter. It will be attracted and it will try to fool you, distract you, trip you up over your own ego, over your apple of your eye, just like in the Garden of Eden. That was the symbol was if you have a human nature weakness or a karmic pattern that you've been repeating, the dark side knows that. 
and it will try to slip it in when you get closer to your perfection, to your true spiritual awakening. So Edgar, when he was asked, how will I know I'm on the right path? He said, when whatever you're doing makes you more humble, more meek, more patient. And that's because you aren't going to be egotistical. And one of the dark forces favorite things to do is stroke your ego <laughs> and get you distracted with that. And yeah. I've seen many a wise person stumble. Oh, yeah. You can just see them on stage go, well, I am pretty brilliant <laughs> and I'm highly spiritual. Uh-oh. In Edgar's case, he actually had demon spirits try to enter him while he was in trance. But fortunately, on the other side, and because of the way he prepared himself to enter trance, and his wife, Gertrude, would give him the shielding protection before he entered. And he would maintain that even when he was wrestling with a demon that tried to possess him or trick him. Usually it was a finesse trick, and you have to be very careful of that. He would get through it, or the reading would stop. Now, in the outer life, he had lots of physical people come to him that were deceptive, had lots of money, and, and he had none, and said they would take care of him for life, finance him and everything, but they wanted him to do it this way, and he would have to back away because they would try to take him away from his mission, which was strictly help others wherever they're at, not just the upper echelon. If they're physically struggling with illness, help the illness. If they're mentally struggling, help the mind. If they're spiritually struggling, help the spirit. He suffered, and you know, he never had any money. He was always broke, and other people were funding his stuff, so he could never say, okay, I'm going to spend money on this. He, he had no power to do that. So he was, in fact, testing his own truth that he would hold to and whether he'd be tempted by other people who had wealth in power or influence and go with them. And usually he didn't. A few times he did and stumbled and then he would come back. I, I guess you've heard the stories of him trying to find an oil well in Texas or gold from the Civil War, and he would lose some of his ability to get a good attunement to the Akashic Record or to the universal consciousness, which he often did. So it was a struggle outside life and inside. When he was in the psychic area, he had to be careful of illusions and demonic distractions. Uh, when I say demonic, you guys, I mean like dark angels, dark spirits, also mean his own darkness. Each of us has to see every corner of our mind and heart. And you'll be surprised, latent in a corner will be a part of yourself you don't like, and you didn't even think you had that. And the light has to be shown on it, and it has to be transformed. Carl Jung, the great psychologist, said it's not by cutting off any part of yourself, but by knowing every part and putting it in proper priority. That's how you grow the best. I love that. And I love Carl Jung as well. I'm hoping that he did at least pay his secretary, who endlessly took notes word for word in during his sessions. Gladys Davis older teenage girl when she was first hired to record his readings. But when they got the past life readings, Gladys, Gertrude, his wife, Edgar, their two sons, and many of the people around them were a soul group that had been traveling together through many lifetimes. So Gladys was not an accident, not a lucky break. She was destined to work with him all his life. And I had the good fortune of being at ARE early enough to meet her and work with her and chat with her. And I don't know if you know the concept of twin souls, but she was 
according to Casey, the twin soul of Edgar. And his wife, Gertrude, was the twin soul of their firstborn son, Hugh Lynn. He went by two names, Hugh Lynn. Does she have carpal tunnel <laughs> from all the <laughs> writing she did? Back in those days, a secretary and a stenographer were real pros. And you can actually see her steno book. You know how they're divided by a blue line and you're going and she's writing all these odd looking images. No, she never had trouble with that. Typewriters were active then, though they were clumsy, but they kept getting better and better. You know, she had to type emphasis with all caps because a typewriter had no italics. But later, when word processors came in, you could italicize emphasis. So when he raised his voice, if you're reading his readings, you'll see she all caps it because she had no choice. <laughs> Typewriter wouldn't give her. I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Believe yeah. it or not, Mandy and I did have typing when we were younger. Yeah. <laughs> I know in my own journey when and I and I have a Christian background, Louisiana Catholic background. So very Louisiana. <laughs> French Cajun. Well, actually, German, Creole. German, they, Creole. They actually oh. claimed to be French Cajun, but then after my DNA journey and research, I was a German Creole. Wow. <laughs> yeah, very, right? Very interesting. But, uh, very interesting. But in my journey, I picked up the Bible. Now, I had already really freed myself from the box of conditions, but I picked up the Bible anyways, and I started to read at the beginning, like I, I've read the Bible many, many times. I've always been curious since I was very little. All of a sudden, the words are different to me. In fact, I can't even get past the first chapter because now <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, what am I? This, this is not what I read. And I'm thinking, is this that Mandela effect or something? I'm like, this wasn't here. Right. What the hell is a nephilim? I'm like, yeah. what is this? wait a minute, they slept with Adam's daughter. Wait, what? Yeah. Are we aliens? Yeah. Right. Everything changed. Yes. Yeah. Zachariah Sitchin made a career of writing about aliens influencing the breeding of human-esque beings on the earth into the generation we know. And the Bible is full, of, especially chapter six of Genesis, where the Nephilim are mentioned but they're also in numbers, in the book of numbers. And then there's a legend among the uh, Inca of remnants of the Nephilim landing on their shore. In the numbers of the Bible, they say they, they only reach their kneecaps. A normal human was just as tall as their kneecaps. But the Incas say they were uh, about the size to their waist. Now that shows that the Nephilim are shrinking <laughs> And this is a remnant. And remember, God washes the whole creation number one, the first creation, and starts over in chapter six. And that's the world you and I know about, the second creation, it's called in most ancient research. But the first creation was a real mess. Yeah, started to get the other books too. Yeah. And that was really filling in a lot of blanks. Yeah. <laughs> Good. The book of Enoch and, and even yeah. some of the books in the book of Thomas in the New yeah. Testament. I started yeah. to read all these things that I hadn't before. I just wonder how Edgar, or if he even deeply spoke about how he felt as he was reading the Bible daily, experiencing what I feel like is your most truth is your experiences yeah. within. Yeah, he, he talked a lot about that. And I had lots of time with Gladys uh, to hear her recount his feelings. Honestly, early on, it troubled him. He worried that he might be deceived by some element that was involved in his trance state. But gradually, as he saw more and more people healed, both physically and mentally, as he saw the breadth of the material taking the light of God worldwide, not just Kentucky Christian, you know, he 
started to become a much broader-minded Christian. And I would say when he started giving the readings on universal Christ consciousness, he really changed. And when the readings told him, or the Akashic record told him, or the universal consciousness, whatever term you want to use, that Christ consciousness was consciousness of the Father Spirit or the God Spirit within you. And that definition helped him reach beyond the limits of his religion into spirituality. So I'm telling you that in his 20s and 30s, he was uncertain. And especially when the depression, uh, he lost the hospital and he lost everything everything was lost. Gradually in his late 30s, early 40s, he started to recover. And that's when he really gave some great readings of the Akashic record or the universal consciousness. Yeah, it was hard. It is hard for us too, because as Jung pointed out, you can't ignore your upbringing. It influenced you subconsciously. And if you were told this is the way it is, it took a lot for you to break away and say, well, not necessarily, mom. There's more to this. That takes a lot because you love mom and your, your flesh is her flesh. Remember, your flesh was her flesh. Your father contributed one shot and genes, but her whole body for nine months made you. So it's very hard to reach away from the first seven, 10 years of your life and start to, unless your soul is already has a very transparent veil and comes in with a lot of knowing, which many souls are doing these days, many. I was a little taken back and received um, some like downloads about the Essene uh, last year. Yeah. What do you know of the Essene? I'm curious. I wrote a whole book on the Essenes. It's right up here on my bookshelf here. The Mysterious Essenes. Really, if you have a curiosity about them, you probably were one of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, they begin in the ancient times with Samuel, the prophet Samuel, and the developments of a school of the prophets, it was called. And they come all the way up to John the Baptist and Mount Carmel. And all of this is in the book with pictures and everything. And basically they were a semi-secret organization. I say semi because they believed in infiltrating civilization, especially government structure, to help whisper the light among those who had the earthy power. For example, Casey says, the wife of Herod's hairdresser and maid was in a scene that she didn't know. <laughs> While she was fixing her hair and making her beautiful for her vain husband, she whispered things to her, spoke softly about greater truths and about the divinity of femininity, which was put down something terrible during Herod's time. And remember uh, Pontius Pilate's wife said to him, I had a dream last night. Don't judge this man. Be careful. And Pilate wouldn't because his wife warned him. <laughs> well, these women were the channels of the deeper truth, even though the macho males were in charge and uh, very much egocentrically proud of themselves and yeah. had the power. <laughs> they listened to their women. So the Essenes kept private. Their temple was in Mount Carmel, not in Jerusalem. They believed male and female were one. They were equal. So when you read the, the New Testament and you see Jesus's baby body being shown to in the temple to a female, the only temple that could have happened was Mount Carmel, the Essene temple, because they had female priests. Wow. Uh, where okay. the Jerusalem temple would never allow that. And uh, so um, all their records in, are in uh, Qumran, uh, which is the desert part down there near the Dead Sea. But their temple was way up northwest in Mount Carmel. So they had two locations. 
and they pretty much stayed to themselves. They had an initiation, but at the same time, they felt their mission included seeding the material world, the egocentric world. I was so excited when I saw you wrote that book. I, I text Shannon this morning, like, I have to ask him about these scene. I can't believe I haven't. <laughs> uh -huh. So then was was Jesus, when he was going around and speaking, was he speaking of these, uh, of the Essenes' beliefs? Actually, Edgar says John the Baptist was more an Essene than Jesus. Jesus had gone to the East and learned the wisdom of the Eastern world. So he had a more balanced view. Mary, his mother, was definitely a scene, and his earthly physical father, Joseph, they were both a scenes. In fact, Joseph was uh, almost 40 when he was told they wanted him to marry the temple virgin Mary, who was 15. And he said, what are you talking about? I can't do this. And they said, no, we an angel has told us she is the chosen one, but she's not getting pregnant. So we want you to marry her because you have no lust left in your body <laughs> and it'll be the purest conception possible. So he agrees. And then, of course, the angel comes to him and says, your wife's pregnant, but don't uh, judge her. It was by and the quote is the most high. Uh, so Joe, get, uh, Joseph gets up the next morning and says, okay, she's pregnant. I won't touch her. We'll do this thing quietly. And he didn't tell anybody, which is amazing. <laughs> and then he goes missing. Well, he takes them into Egypt and uh, hides from Herod's edict to kill all the baby boys two years and younger. Now, can you imagine a town in which the army is pulling baby boys out and stabbing them? From two years younger, the terror and the blood had to be ridiculous and upsetting. Then before that, they flee, so they're not there. So did Elizabeth with her baby, John the Baptist. She fled too. So then when Herod dies, they all come back and start the mission then. Joseph was still alive, but he plays a background role. And I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, and I know your listeners are not going to like this, but the Akasha says that once Jesus became 12 years of age, which was the age of majority in those times, nowadays it's 18, but back then it was 12, he leaves the family home and goes east. While he's gone, I know this is hard to accept, <laughs> jo Joseph and Mary have natural love for each other, and they produce Jesus's brother, James. And there's a whole uh, research done by scholars on the existence of Jesus having a brother named James. And you'll notice when Jesus comes back during his mission, his disciples come to him during a talk he's given and say, hey, your mother and brother are at the door and want to talk to you. What do you mean, brother? The brother was James, mm -hmm. the son of Joseph and Mary through natural Jewish marriage consummation. I know it's hard because we Christians like to think Mary was just absolutely beyond feminine and beyond normal. Yeah. <laughs> do you believe like that the seeding of these children that were not made of consummation that they are much like, um, you know, they were also men mentioned in the Old Testament as well. Do you believe that that still happens today? Or is was that well, only for um, ancient from times? Taste, yeah, yeah. That's very rare. Uh, and it's mostly done to shock the materialistically dominant mind into thinking, physicality is the absolute truth and spirituality is some sort of enhancement when yeah. it's the it's the reverse but uh casey says bodily sharing has been sanctified way way back in the in the olden age the spirit sanctified physical sexual intercourse between loving people. Edgar said, let sex be a result of love motivation, not just 
for gratification or desire or power. Often sex is power, dominance. He said it should always be a result of love. And he said, if you consummate, if, if there's a baby made during a lovemaking session, the weak, these are his words, the weakness is not put in the body made. If it's for gratification and all, then he implies that the body being made will have the vibe of seeking gratification. So uh, like my wife and I, my late wife and I, we tried to follow this. So uh, we had sexual relations that were very normal for all married couples. And even when we, before we were married, loving couples. But when it came to when we were going to make a baby, we did the very sacred stuff that Edgar talked about. She prepared herself beforehand. I prepared myself when we came together. We tried to have no earthy, carnal desire or thoughts. Now, for a male, that's real hard because he has to get it up. <laughs> so <laughs> the truth is, I worked on thinking of energy. So yeah. it, it was more a tantric activity for me in order to keep my mind in the right place. Yeah. And then I could do my part with Doris and we had three babies done that way all three are married now and really good good people I cannot say anymore because I don't have a psychic insight into them but I know we followed the guidelines of Casey on this matter so I want to tell you a funny aside I called once I read this I called my mom I said hey mom <laughs> Is there any chance when you and dad conceived me that uh, it was a rather spiritual moment? She, oh, no way, honey. She said, but I love you. <laughs> and I said, okay, mom, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. I have three children with my ex-husband and one with my, my partner now. Uh -huh. And it was a partner that I've known since second grade. He was my first kiss. We've got this magnet connection thing. Yeah. And I call our daughter our love child because yeah. I feel like it was purposeful. Right. Exactly. Yeah. A love child is the ideal in Edgar Casey's mind. And the more love children being born, and I'm talking about normal sexual activity, conceiving them, uh, the more the world is going to be tilted toward that vibe. He said, wow. once, once the vibe rises to a certain level, it overcomes the earthy vibe. Wow, and so suddenly true. love spreads. I've been in China. I've been in Tibet. I have been all around the other parts of the world, Africa, South America. Love is rising everywhere. Now, you, you won't see it in the news much. No. And you won't see it in politics. But behind the scene, people care more than they have ever cared uh, before. I know this. Yes. I try not to watch the news because I feel like when I do talk to people in, in their true experiences, that's all I get is love. Yeah. Even in the worst, like Mandy can tell you, her brother's master sergeant, what comes out of his mouth is more love than hate in any way. Yep, right? I, I, I did my tour Vietnam Navy Air and my father was 30 years in Pearl Harbor. He went down on the California and my son went to Afghanistan and Bahrain and all. And all of us did it for goodness sake, not for power or victory or to take new lands, imperialism. We did it with a motivation of trying to do what was good. And in hindsight, some of it was not so good, but we didn't realize that at the time. So I know military hearts and minds, they are often very good and nothing like politicians' minds. Thank you and your family for your service very, very much. Uh, you're very welcome, really. I love it and they love it too. Are you part of Edgar's soul family, soul group? 
Of course, I'm part of the soul group, the intimate family structure I'm not part of, but the soul group, there's no doubt. I have, I was a priest in ancient Atlantis in the temple. I was in a certain temple. Edgar was in another temple, a higher temple. My temple was the temple of the heart chakra, and I was the priest involved there. Then incarnations subsequent to that, Edgar and I were there, but we were still separate families with separate activities. And in Louis XV's court, again, we were there, uh, but still I wasn't of his and Gladys's intimate family. Okay. Have you felt like your purpose in life is to travel around and find things to validate Edgar's channeling and messages? Is it to evolve it and add on the knowledge you found or both? It's both plus to be a teacher of the concepts. Okay. So when I go to China, believe it or not, they are hungry for this. Really? Oh, yes. The audience. Now, let me tell you another thing. They're richer than us. So when I'm in uh, Shanghai or Beijing, those audiences are hungry for this. Edgar Casey is a strange name, but we have a major activity there that spreads very well. And so I go to teach, but at the same time, while I'm there, I'm observing them and their souls. And I'm noticing, my goodness, they're just like Casey said we all were. They're yeah. just that way. I go up to Tibet, who is now under control of China, and I try to get aside and speak to the Tibetans. And again, uh, they want to hear what I have to say. Understand these people already have the concept of reincarnation. So that's not new. But I notice they too are just like Edgar said, all humans are of one family. They all have the truth within them. All they need is a breath to inflame the ember still in their soul mind and it will light up again. Same in Africa, Europe, Russians, South Americans, they all have their unique culture. So you have to work within that cultural paradigm. Just like Jung said, you can't ignore the influence of the culture that they grew up in. But at the same time, they're all the same deep inside. So I do confirm some things while I'm involved, but my main role is to convey these teachings and let them judge for themselves whether they're valuable or not. I teach meditation almost everywhere. That's the number one request, how to get deep meditation. And I've written several books on deep yeah. meditation. And the magic silence. I love that. <laughs> yes. The magic silence is the, the one I use on people who've never meditated. Or tell me, they come up and say, I've been meditating for eight years with no effect. And I say, okay, I, I got a technique I guarantee will work. And I sit with them and do the magic silence and they're high as kites. And I can't get them out. You know, I push them. I say, hey, okay, it's over now. You know, we're 35 minutes. <laughs> come, back. come back down. Come back. <laughs> well, you near death people know you don't really want to come back. Oh, facts. Yeah. yeah. So I have to help them. So no, no, there's yeah. more to do here. Yeah, that's oh. so true. So hard to bring yourself back because I, I would stay up there too. Yeah. Do you believe that we often reincarnate in our own lineage? I have a story where somebody that was in my past life regression, I'm actually DNA connected to. We're both like in the past life regression. We were under a plantation owner and in my DNA, sure enough, we were under a plantation owner. There's and so I was the like, Louisiana wow. girl. There's the Southern <laughs> girl. Yeah. The answer is both yes and no. I'll give you a yes example. Mm -hmm. Young Edgar Casey's grandfather, not father, grandfather was magical. He could make the brooms dance. He could move water buckets. He did tricks that Edgar loved and he knew Edgar understood them. Okay. Grandfather, father, Edgar's born. He gives birth to uh, Hugh Lynn Casey. Hugh Lynn Casey gives birth to grandfather. Ah, Lineage. Okay. Ah. But 
there are many, many examples in the readings in which you break out of lineage altogether, you break out of race. And if you get an attitude toward a gender, there's no faster way to teach you about that gender than to force to you to gender. reincarnate <laughs> in that gender. If you get an attitude about a race, there's no faster Ooh. way to teach you than to force you to be incarnate in that race in a country that has an attitude about that race. Yeah. That's the fast way. So Egger showed many ways uh, of that. Like, for example, a, um, a priest with homosexual tendencies begged Egger to help him. And first thing Egger did in trance was say, is it little wonder he who persecuted and mocked gays in Louis' court is reincarnated in a position of sacred honor with homosexual tendencies and he's around men all the time this is your karma you've got to meet it but in other cases homosexuality was not karmic it was some other dynamic uh, and i know it can get weird but let's say and this happens egger says a male body is born and the yin of the soul projects into it now you have no, an effeminate male if a female body is born and the yang projects into it, you have a masculine female, you see? So it's not always karma. And so I don't want to confuse things about homosexuality and all. But there are many ancient cultures that are famous. So think of Alexander the Great and all, where homosexuality was common with heterosexuality. And if you reincarnate from that, you might not have the discipline that the current culture has. See, see what I mean? There's a lot of reasons, so don't lock it in. But I, I was giving you an example of that priest's karmic meeting, and he did well. Uh, he did well, not like some of our priests today. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever come across some of Edgar's teachings where you were like, nope, not listening to this this does not align with me i'm nope putting it to the side <laughs> yeah absolutely i was about 18 years old when i read edgar said that we were destined uh, and chose our parents to come through and i said he's wrong there i would have never chosen these two and when i was a little boy i had a recurring nightmare of being born to these two people and i'll briefly tell it to you i saw myself out in space and I saw the little blue and white planet and suddenly, like Star Trek, some sort of magnetic energy grabbed me and pulled me toward that planet. And I kept fighting against it, but it was like a tractor beam, you know, it had me. And I came into New Jersey through the clouds into an ugly gymnasium of the 1910s, you know, with bars on the window barren and I come right through the bars and there's my mom and dad with no eyes sitting at a card table and I look at him and I scream no and every time I had that nightmare my mom would shake my arm and say wake up honey it's just a dream and I'd go no when I saw her <laughs> not you <laughs> not you <laughs> but in my 30s and 40s my mother and dad and I healed a lot of our dislike of one another, our karma. And we started to play bridge together, to play cards together. And in our old age, I was the oldest son, so I took care of them a lot. My dad's still alive. He's 102 and lives down the street. Wow. No, oh. walker, no walker, no meds. You know, he's fine. And mom just passed at 97. But really, we came to really appreciate one another. I'm not saying we ever had emotional love for one another, but deep appreciation of one another and enjoying one another's company we had. My mother was more in love with my brother, my second brother, and my dad really loved my third brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay it was okay because yeah. yeah. i didn't you, i didn't you picked I them you picked them that's right <laughs> <laughs> i do want to talk about the edgar casey foundation the are 
and yeah. just what that is. And I know that he had some like 14,000 cases or something or readings that he did that were recorded. Right. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. And they're all indexed. They're all available. We're a membership organization and our members can go into the member section of our website, which is massive. And we get about 90,000 visitors a month. Uh, and if they're a member, they can go in and actually search the readings on topics. But we also have a massive health database they can access. Like if you type in arthritis, you're going to get all his readings on arthritis. So we're mostly a membership organization, but we have an educational wing. Like we have a master's degree in transpersonal psychology and in uh, transpersonal leadership. We have a massage school, the Casey Riley School of Massage and Hydrotherapy, and students can attend that. And then we put on conferences, tours, uh, weekend seminars. Uh, we do a lot of webinars uh, since last year, uh, March of last year, when COVID shut down travel. Uh, I have been building virtual tours around the world, sacred tours. And every Wednesday night, we have a webinar. And then on Saturdays, we have a Zoom workshop. And so a lot's going on. And there's many different speakers too. You guys yeah. always have, like, I remember one day I was looking up and, and I was like, who was it, Mandy? Oh, it was Echo Bodine, who I love. We had yeah. her on early on because her books are some of my favorite. Yeah. And I was like, I saw her pop up on her email and I was like, oh, Echo. And then I was like, she's doing a talk in here. So yeah, yeah very neat. You guys have a lot of wisdom that comes through that you share yeah. even yeah. on, you know, in addition to Edgar's amazing well, work. Edgar actually said to reach beyond and bring in other people because it's like looking at a diamond. They'll show a different facet. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I have a writing speaking course free going on right now at ARE. So if you go to our website, edgarcasey.org, O-R-G, you can actually search for the free writer speaker. If you are moved in your soul to become a writer, I have been writing for decades. I've written over 30 some books and I have been doing videos and TV shows and lectures. So I actually for free give you a whole training session and then you can submit drafts of your writing to me or your video on just using your cell phone. Uh, and uh, don't go over three minutes because you can't attach it. It's too big a file. Right. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I know that. Yeah. So any of you who are full of the light and want to channel it through writing or teaching, the course is free. Kudos to you. I can't even imagine like writing as many books as you have. That's so <laughs> amazing. I mean, we've had on a guy, it took him 25 years just to write one. I mean, yeah. That it's just amazing how many you've written. It blew my mind when I looked them all up and they're all of so many different topics. So yeah. thank you for putting those out there. I can't yeah. wait to get the one on the scene and yeah. oh gosh, there's so many. There's so well, many. And you know what? I mean, you have to have something to write about when you've been to Egypt, how many freaking times? Uh, 41. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. remember I'm 75. There's no, a lot of- never actually no he never city. made it there in the third yeah. dimension he made it there a right. lot yeah. in the fourth dimension <laughs> that's amazing well i do want to ask you though one more thing what's up with 2038 i want to read the book and i don't want to just spill it all but oh, what's i can i can tell you yeah i it, would like to know because it doesn't seem like it's that far off now it's not far off we're it's we're not. we're heading right into it in the 1600s one of the european archaeologists discovered a correlation between the Egyptian Book of the Dead, particularly chapter 15, and the inside of the Great Pyramid. But it wasn't until the 1800s that some archaeologists really dug into this, the French and the British archaeologists, and some Italian ones. And then in 1910, David Davidson published the book in which he correlated it all and showed the prophecy inside the Great Pyramid. 
Then in 1930, Edgar was asked, is Davidson's stuff any good? And he said, in the total, yes. In some areas, exaggerated. And I teach where it's exaggerated and where it is right on. And when he was asked, well, what does it mean when the prophecy ends at the apex uh, in the king's chamber? And he said that a new human body form will have 12 chakras. Now, Kabbalah already teaches three more above the body, has 10. But Edgar says, ultimately, you'll have 12. They are somewhat in your auric body, but they're connected to your carnal body, your, your organic body. And you will be much less dense, lighter, and your soul will be able to be aware beyond the world while you're in the world. Very much, he says, like we were in Atlantis. In fact, he, he gives the name of a female Atlantis priestess who lived in both realities. And she lived for 8,000 years because she could regenerate her body. So uh, this is the beginning of a new era. And he said, ultimately, when the revelation says Satan will be bound or banished for a thousand years, he said, put it in your heart to be here then. That's the golden age. And it's coming. We are in the transition. Archangel Gabriel said it'll, to Daniel, he said, a time, times, and a half time. Edgar said, the time, times, and a half time are over. We are in the transition to the new age. The Armageddon is upon us. The dark and light forces are battling it out. It's going to be intense. And then suddenly it's going to flip over. And he says that the wounds of the earth will be at such a high vibe, you won't be able to incarnate unless you have a high vibe. Women are the channel into this world, he says. They're the only way you get in here. If they shift, now I have been among Muslim women and they are weary of terrorism and offering up their babies to death and terrorism. That means their own minds are starting to change the vibes of their wounds. Do you see? If more and more women around the planet start to get an attitude about this and the vibration of their womb is elevated, you can't come through that womb unless you have a harmonic vibration. And so Satan will be bound for a thousand years, only souls of love and light. Now, the apparitions of Mother Mary, she tells the same thing. Get ready. It's almost here. You must prepare yourselves because you won't be able to go in if your heart has any hatred, any negativity, or you have heavy regrets. You're walking around heavy then you're too heavy to come into the light age. Is COVID a part of this? Yes, it is a part of this. Matthew 24 in the New Testament, Jesus said, all these things will happen, but they are the birth pains to the new era. Yes, mm -hmm. there'll be suffering, there'll be wars. Hearts will grow cold, he says. Hearts will grow cold. But these are the birth pains. Now, only a few Bible translations keep the original statement of birth pain. A woman birthing a new baby has to dilate your consciousness and then push on your, the uterus of your mind to bring your true self out and your ego self falls away. It's just like a woman. In fact, Jesus says that at the Last Supper. This is a lot like a woman pregnant, and now my hour has come upon me to deliver this. Okay, so we have one last thing. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. I suppose it's the promise. If you seek, you absolutely are guaranteed to find it's part of karma. Whatever goes around comes around. But more than that, whatever you desire, you draw. If you desire to know, you draw knowledge to you. If you desire to be forgiven, you draw forgiveness to you. It's a law. And so if you seek whatever you're seeking, I guarantee you it will come to you.
Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Yes, it has. Can you tell everybody real quick where they can find you and get all of your amazing books and all that good stuff? Do you have one place that I they have can a, go? Well, I have a website, johnvanauken.com. But if you have questions and things like that, my email at ARE is simply john at edgarcasey.org. Now, Casey spelled the French way, C-A-Y-C-E, but if you type in the British way, C-A-S-E-Y, we own that too. So you'll find me. <laughs> you'll find me no matter what. And I'm online all the time. So if you search me on Google, you'll find YouTube videos everywhere. If they want to join the ARE, where do they go? EdgarCasey.org slash join. Okay. Very simple. And we have a special offer, uh, half price right now. If you're hot to join, this would be a great time because eventually they're going to go back up to full price. You've been just a pleasure. I mean, I Thank feel so very honored to have had you. We were so excited. We wanted to, <laughs> you know, talk about the tombs and the Egyptians and all these things. But, you know, there's, I mean, we could talk to you like once a week. <laughs> <laughs> if you want that type of stuff, I could come back and share my screen and actually show you inside the temples, the tombs, and the pyramids. Oh, yes. We will not say no to that. We will say yes. Okay. You know, we have a lot of people on talking about spiritual things, but when they start talking about, you know, the ancient aliens and the ancient history that, you know, we're just discovering... Mandy mm -hmm. and I are just like drooling. <laughs> and you know what, John, you're a wonderful speaker and you're very charismatic. And I can't even imagine how many times you've spoken, told these messages, but it seems like when you're saying them, it's the first time you've ever said yeah. it. You can feel that energy and that yeah. love coming yeah. out of you and your <laughs> eyes change and your lips and your mouth change. And it's like, it's you, it's part of you. And so you're really great at it. And I can tell how much this means to you and teaching yeah. it. So thank you for all of these years of your research and studies and speaking. Thank you for having me. Really, I enjoyed this time together. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, did you know that Sense of Soul now has a Patreon where you can get exclusive episodes, mini series that Mandy and I have been working on for a long time that we can't wait to share with you? Monthly readings, Sense of Soul sacred circles, workshops, behind the scene clips, and much more. Hop on Sense of Soul Patreon right now and sign up. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.